to uh, the book of 1 Timothy. That's where we're going to be dwelling today. First Timothy three, starting in verse one. I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in together. First Timothy three, starting in verse one. This is the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. God, this passage of Scripture we're going to read is like me preaching on my own job. And I pray, Father, that you would guard me from speech without action. But Lord, at the same time that you would lay forward through your word right now to us as a people, as a congregation, Lord, not only what is expected or demanded of pastors, but Father, would you also show us as a congregation how we can not only see the example set for us by shepherds, but Lord, how we are to interact with pastors, how we are to think about what they, who they are and what our role in their lives are to be. Help us, we pray. We ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, we're, we're continuing on in the series um, that I, I've called Church Matters, which is Church issues, but also church is significant. Um, and this week is a very kind of a, a very like strange week for me uh, because I'm, we're preaching on um, who is a pastor? What does it mean to be a pastor? What is a pastor? And why does that matter? You might even be sitting there thinking like, okay, pastor, <laughs> great. I'm not a pastor. I don't plan to be a pastor anytime soon. And I would say that's okay. <laughs> you don't have to be. Uh, I, here's, here's why it's significant, and I was thinking about this even this morning. Um, I want to paint you a picture, and it's not actually my situation, but I've watched enough situations. I've actually watched in the last two months three situations very, very similar to this, and I'm going to describe it to you. You've seen it. I know you've seen this. I've talked to enough of you to hear this. That a, a confused church with a confused pastor. The church wishes, so picture little, maybe his name's Jimmy. Jimmy goes to Church X, and the church wishes that the pastor would be more focused in reaching the lost. Pastor, we really want you to reach the lost. We really want you to reach our city. The church wishes they want their pastor to do more specials with children. 
The church wants their pastor to, to preach the truth but never offend us. And the pastor, the whole time, trying to, to feel out, okay, what, what does this person want? What does that person want? How can I please this, this group of people? How can I please that person? And eventually the church and the pastor part ways. And praise God, this is not my situation, but I've seen enough of it to say there's a reason why. What happened in this situation? Where did it all fall apart? Why? Why did it take place in this way? Anytime, and and we're going to address those issues, not just this week, but next week as well. And I would argue that it's not just the pastor's fault, it's also the congregation. It's it's a mutual, it's it's a, both parties are wrong somewhere along the way. But the church desires, they want their pastor to be a certain way. And I would argue it a lot of times, it's, it's not according to Scripture. And in the same way, pastors try to be something that they're not. If I stood up for you, Sunday after Sunday, and tried to entertain you, you would be very, very bored by me. We'd get to like week number two, and you'd be like, man, his jokes are all gone. Daniel, he is not a funny guy in that way. Or he's not a musical guy. Or he's not fill in the blank for what, he doesn't do clowns. <laughs> like he's not, he's not entertaining. So if entertainment is our aim as a church, and as entertainment is my aim as a pastor, I'm going to fail you. But is entertainment what we're supposed to be doing? What I'm supposed to be doing? I argue it's not. So I want to look at today, what, what is a pastor? Who, who am I? Who am I? Who ought I to be, at least? And before we start talking about the shepherd or shepherds in the church, we have to understand God's definition. And to understand God's definition, we have to understand who God is first. And I want us to see, if you're taking notes there, there should be like a little slip of paper there in your, in your pew, or uh, actually should be in the back, but there should be fill in the blanks there. And I want us to start and look and see the good shepherd and his sheep. And it's God's care for the people of God. Now, I said the church there, but I would include with that just the people of God. And this is true not just for the church. This has been true all throughout the Bible, all over and over again. Since the Garden of Eden, since humanity fell into sin, God has cared for His people. And all throughout the Old Testament, through Abraham and Moses and the prophets, God jealously loves His people. Listen to, listen to this is picking up in Ezekiel 34, but I want you to pick up and listen to God's rebuke of the, the teachers of Israel. Listen to what He says to them. The teachers of Israel were meant to shepherd the people of God on, on God's behalf. And listen to what He says to them. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, which is a really good portion. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you don't feed the sheep. Do you hear that? That rebuke, I would argue, and this is so sad, Go, go turn on the television, and I guarantee you the preacher that's on the TV is making millions of dollars, fleecing the sheep over and over again. And this is what God says to them. It's a, it's a scathing rebuke, and I need to be the first one to look at it. 
I have to be the first one to say, this could be me. It's not just shepherds of Israel. It's all shepherds. Shepherds who come and they eat the fat and they clothe themselves. It's for a rebuke. Listen to what he says. Very, very rarely is God this way with people in the Old Testament. But listen to how he talks to them in verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against the shepherds. And I'll require require my sheep at their hands and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I, that's the Lord, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Do you hear that? God is deeply concerned as a good shepherd of his people for the sheep. And it's actually against the shepherds that he places over them that he first and foremost is concerned. And I I have to be the first one to look at this and say, this could be me. Do not think about all the other churches and all the other pastors. I first have to be the one to say, this could be Daniel. So hear me. I, I understand the scathing rebuke that this is. But notice what he then says in verse 11. He doesn't leave them there. He says in verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search out for my sheep, and I'll seek them out. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek out the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak, the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God's promise always is for his people, I'm coming to be their shepherd. And praise be to God that he didn't leave the shepherds of Israel in that place. He sent then the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd. We turn then, you get to the New Testament, you start to see, oh, wait a second, God really does care for his people. He cares for his people so much so that he he came in the form of a baby He came as a baby. He lived, he was raised as a carpenter's son to die in the place of sinners and rebels. Jesus compares God to, compares the people of God to sheep and himself as the shepherd. He is the one who brings them into the sheepfold, the place of safety and security. The place of rest and refreshment. Listen to what Jesus says of himself. So keep that in your mind. Ezekiel 34. Then he comes and he says, I am the good shepherd. So keep that comparison. God says, I'm sending a shepherd. Me. I'm going to come. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. He is the good shepherd, and he will lay his life down for the sheep. Listen to what else he goes on to say. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That's referring to the Gentiles. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you, do you see that? I hope you see that. So before we start talking about what does it, what's it mean to be a pastor, what should we expect of pastors, we must first see that we have a shepherd who cares for us infinitely more. 
I know, sitting in this room right now, there are people in this room who have been burnt, not only been burnt, but have been harmed by a pastor's. I don't only know that, I guarantee it. I bet all my money in my, my bank account on it. You know why? Because we're not the shepherd. I'm not the good shepherd in that way. But my hope as a pastor and as a leader and as an elder in this church is to be a faithful under-shepherd, underneath the good shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd, and he will be this for his sheep. He goes to the cross, he dies in their place, and he rises from the dead. And then he commissions, not only that, then he commissions, hey, you apostles, you who've been with me, John 21, just notice what he says to Peter. When they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What's he say to him? Feed my lambs. He says it three times to him. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. So we see God's commission, he's coming, he's going to be a shepherd to them. Jesus comes, lays down his life, is the great shepherd of the sheep. But then Jesus says, I'm ascending to my Father's right hand, and you all are going to feed him, says to the apostles. So then the question comes up, what is a pastor? What is a pastor? What is an elder? I'll tell you a couple things that a pastor is not, Okay. I think most of you would be like, yeah, of course. A pastor's not an entertainer. But though, though many pastors bring squirt guns into the pulpit, and I'm not going to even reference them, just go look at much of the preaching that hits cable television, and you'll see what I mean. Pastoring is not entertaining. Pastoring is also not being a CEO. Now, there are two offices, and we're going to look at one, one this week and two, the other one in two weeks. But I want to equate some terms for you, because I would actually argue if you've, if you've grown up in the church for any length of time, you've been a part of a church at some point that has a differing view than me, and a different view than the Bible, even in that way, me, me included, okay? So here's my terms. I want to put them very, very simply for you. The term pastor is equal to elder, which is equal to overseer, okay? So the Bible talks in three distinct ways. Now, instead of pastor, pastor is actually a Latin term for the term shepherd, okay? So pastor or shepherd, elder, and overseer. There are actually three terms that are used to describe the exact same office. Pastor or shepherd, elder, overseer. But an important question emerges. I think we need to ask it before we go any further. Why do under-shepherds matter? Why can't we just all be the community of Jesus and just love one another and form ourselves and not really need leaders. Why, why can't we do that? Can't we all just get along? <laughs> why, why, why do we need leaders in that way? Let me give you just one example, and I could give you uh, oodles of examples, but if you turn to the book of Acts, turn there real quick, just real quick, Acts chapter 6, I want you to see what the pattern in the early church was from earliest of times. People say all the time, we should return to what the early church did. And I want to be like, yes, I agree. Look at what the early church did. This is what they did. Now in Acts 4, if you remember, so you're turning to Acts 6, but just to give you some recap of the book of Acts, spiritual warfare in the book of Acts, 
doesn't look like what we think it would. So there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, if you remember them. They're the, God, they're the two people that God struck dead. And they were tempting the church in that time, in Acts 4, to lack purity. And God, God cared for the purity so much of his church that he said, I'm going to literally strike them dead rather than have that kind of immoral activity in the church. So that was Satan's first attempt at taking the church out. What do you think his second attempt was? So if his first attempt is immorality in the church, which is very true, it's very true even today, what's his second attempt? Notice Acts 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, okay, so that's, that's very important. The disciples, there, there were oodles, thousands were added to their number in a single day. So you can imagine the kind of issues. They didn't have welfare. They didn't have social institutions. You know what the social institution of the day was? The church. So in that, in that moment, here's 12 men in, in Jerusalem, 11 men, well, 12, 12 men technically, and they were caring for thousands, literally thousands. And a complaint, notice what happens, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution probably not on purpose, but because literally there are thousands to care for. Now, notice what happened. Verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, notice what they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Do, Do you hear that? I want you to notice that. There were so many needs in that first century church. Literally, if you think about a widow that didn't have a Christian family, they had a Gentile family, that would literally mean they have no support. The needs that they would have had in this moment would have been astounding. They would have made us all shudder. <laughs> How are we going to care for this? How are we going to care for this? But notice what they say. It's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. He doesn't say that's not a problem. He doesn't say serving tables is bad. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. They're saying we shouldn't give up preaching the word to serve tables. We can't do that. You know what actually would have destroyed the church in that moment? If they would have said, and they would have looked around them and said, you know what? We have so many needs here. We need to stop preaching the word so that we can go serve tables. And we wouldn't be here today if they would have done that. I I really don't think we would have in that way. Because that would have been, this is the second attempt of Satan to, bring, to, to literally destroy the church from the inside out. So I want us to see that why under shepherds? Very simply, it's this. It's God's protection of the church. It's God's protection of the church. And now we'll get into this in two weeks when we talk about deacons, because deacons are critically important, just as critically important as elders. And they say, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we, now notice what they'll do, will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Of all my duties as a pastor, of all my duties that I do day in, day out, things that I could do, there is a real danger and I love things like biblical counseling. I love biblical counseling. And it's a ministry of the Word. I love it. I love meeting with people one-on-one or in much smaller settings. But if I take biblical counseling 
And I allow biblical counseling to elevate so much in my ministry that I begin to actually neglect the Word of God and prayer. I failed you. I hope you know that. And biblical counseling is just an example. Take any mercy ministry. They are so important. I think about what the Union Rescue Mission does. It is so important. So important. But if I neglect all of you for the sake of a good thing, I have, I have ruined you. And I hope, pray for me in that way. Pray for me that I would not do that because this is God's protection of His church. And to do that, brothers and sisters, is to neglect you. And if you've ever been a part of a church that, that maybe the, the pastor, he's, he's really busy and he's not busy with like preaching the word and, and prayer. What he's busy with is like little trinkets. I want to encourage you. Talk to him. Love him enough to say, Pastor, I don't know if you should be doing this. I love you enough. This is what's central. Okay, so that's, that's important, and we're going to cover that next week. But I want you to notice the other real emphasis of the New Testament. And it's, the, it's who are the under-shepherds? Who are they? So before we talk about what they do, we need to understand how the Bible talks about them. Now, there's three common pitfalls. I've kind of, I've kind of mentioned them, but I want to go back over them because I think they're very, very important. Let me say first what a pastor is not. A pastor elder is not. A pastor elder is not first a CEO. Okay? The CEO model assumes that because you're a leader in the world somewhere, that you should be a leader in the church. And that doesn't compute. When you go to the New Testament, that's actually not what they emphasize. Or, maybe I'll put it like this, a pastor elder, they need to be a big giver or a big contributor to the church. Now, contribution is very important, but it does not automatically mean a person should be a pastor or elder. Or I like this last one. This last one's really true. A pastor or an elder is not a good old boy, okay? I put huge air, and we all know what I mean by this, huge air quotes around a good old boy, okay? And what I mean by that Just living in the same place and being a member of the same church for three decades does not make a person an elder or pastor or leader in that way. All three of these pitfalls exclude fundamentally what an elder or pastor is. Notice all three of the qualifications that I just mentioned there. CEO, big contributor, good old boy. (laughs) Every one of them have more to do with gifting than they do with character. And that is very, 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 very important. CEO has everything to do with leadership. Contributor has everything to do with being generous. Good old boy has everything to do with being loyal. And if we elevate gifting, my gifting, anyone's gifting, above their character, we are in for a shipwreck. We could point to, I'm not going to name them by name, but I could point to multiple multiple ministries that have failed. Actually, I will point to one very clearly. Ravi Zacharias. If if you're not in Christian circles at all, Ravi Zacharias was a huge ministry. He had a huge ministry. Millions of people he preached the gospel to. He died. What did we all come to find out? Huge moral failure. That man was so gifted, so gifted, far more incredibly gifted than I am, far more incredibly gifted But what matters most at being a pastor and an elder is who he is more than it is what he does. 
More than gifting, character, and virtue are primary in the New Testament. If a man cannot control his own passions, how can he help others do so? If a man has a bad reputation with others, how can he teach the church to have a good one? If a man cannot lead his family to follow Jesus, how can he expect the family of God to follow Jesus? He may be able to do so for a time, but who he is is more important than what he does. And so I want us to see God's design for the church. Okay, so now I want you to jump to 1 Timothy 3. Now I've said all that, I want you to jump there. 1 Timothy 3. And you're going to notice something too, and I'm going to point this out when we get there in a second. When you think I'm sitting here talking just about pastors, I am talking primarily about pastors. But pastors are meant to be the exemplar members. Of the qualifications of, of a pastor, three-quarters of them apply to all of us. There are only two categories that apply to just pastors. Did you know that? So when you hear me just saying, don't, don't be just sitting there thinking, well, he's Daniel, Daniel, I'm not planning to be a pastor or an elder anytime. I'm off the hook. I'd want to say to you, no, hold on. What we're talking about today is the exemplar of what all of us are meant to be. Did you know that? That all of us, now I'm going to, notice the First Timothy 3.1. I'll point you to where, an example of where this isn't for everyone, okay? So we'll talk about this one next week, but I want to pay, pay attention to it. The saying is trustworthy, or it's a faithful saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, or pastor, or elder, he desires a noble task, okay? That one shouldn't be for everyone, okay? So if you hear verse 1 and you're like, man, I don't desire that. Well, great. That's okay. Just move on. But there is a point to mention here. If, if we as a church don't realize that the office of elder or pastor is first for someone who desires it, we will get very confused. For, for example, if a person came in this church, just walked in and said, God has called me to pastor this church along with Daniel, I hope we would all look at him and say, God has not told us that you have been called to be a pastor at this church. You know why? Because pastoring is not, it's about calling, yes, internally, and we're going to look at this more next week, but there's also an external call that me and you and all of us as members have to be able to say, we affirm you in this. We agree with you. And if we can't do that, sorry, bub. (laughs) Sorry, bub. (laughs) So at the same time, just because a person senses God's call in this life does not make them qualified or able to do what God requires them to do. Okay, so that's just one to mention there. It's, that one's not for you. But I want you to notice, there should be a chart, Ed. Can you pull that chart up? This chart is kind of hard to see, but I'll, I'll lay it out for you if you can't see it in the back. We're going to cover these four quadrants today. And this, this image, I like images, because it's meant to represent all the qualifications for biblical eldership. Four of six have nothing to do. This is actually all for everyone. So I want to give you some of these these, the personal ones. He's a lover of God. He's prudent. He's self-controlled. Or he's his family. He's a one-woman man. Or he's relational. He's not violent. He's not self-willed. He's not quick-tempered. Or his integrity. He's devout. He's above reproach. We're not even talking about his calling, what he's to do, or his desire for the ministry. Do you know that? Today I want to only talk about who they are. Who is a shepherd? And I want you to see first off that shepherds are upright. Shepherds are upright. 
And this does not describe the shape of their back, okay? This is not a chiropractic upright, okay? We're talking about character over gifting. Character over gifting. And they're shepherds that are upright. So above reproach. Notice what he says. Jump down in verse 2 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. He says, Therefore, an overseer or an elder or a pastor must be above reproach. Now, simply, the phrase above reproach, it'd be like this. It'd be like if you heard, above reproach is like saying, if you heard a rumor of a man and someone was saying, oh, yeah, pastor, he's, he's got a drug smuggling ring <laughs> or whatever, whatever it is. Above reproach means that everyone should be able to say, no way, not a chance. I couldn't believe that of him. And what's sad, I'll take an example like Ravi Zacharias. Everyone said of him, no way, no way. But what's sad is there came a point where no one actually was around him close enough to actually know. It's very sad. When we elevate gifting above character, we not only make we're sending the, sh- the, the church toward a shipwreck, we're sending the man toward a shipwreck. It means, above reproach simply means to be beyond criticism. There's a, there's a pastor I know, and he says that the people in his church sometimes, um, he'll hear charges leveled at him like, he's a drunk. He's a drunk. He's always out drinking. <laughs> and one time somebody told his daughter that. And she came home and she's like, Dad, today I heard you were a drunk. <laughs> and his daughter's first reaction was just laughter. It's like, that's hilarious. That means he's above reproach. You know why? Because when you hear something that ridiculous and you look at the man, you know the man, you think that's not true of him at all. But also, along with this, so not only is he upright, we also see, jump down to verses 6 and 7. He says, he must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So, so a pastor, he's not only just upright, he's above reproach, he's above reproach before even outsiders. Now, Timothy gives a warning, or Paul gives a, t- a warning to Timothy later on, and he says, don't be hasting, hasty in the laying on of hands or affirming them. And if we're too quick in laying hands on a fellow believer that's been converted to say, yep, he's our pastor, he's our elder, we're setting him up for failure. And this happens actually a lot. When you see a, a person come to faith, what do we initially see? Great growth. I can think of, there's, there's one, one guy in particular that comes to my mind, comes to faith, and the next week is like preaching on the street, like in a good way. Like he's declaring the gospel, telling people, and the first thought that goes through my mind is, he's going to be a pastor. And then if I would have done that in that way and said, we should, we should bring him in. We should bring him in. Look at him. He's already out preaching on the campus or wherever. We've got to be careful laying on of hands in that way because shepherds are upright. So they have to be well thought of by outsiders. That means that outsiders see him as a good witness. I'll give you an example from my own life. I met a kid one time. Um, he's a good friend now. But there was a picture one time circulating of me on Facebook. And uh, it, was, it was me and my buddies, and my buddies were drinking. But I was standing there with them and had a cup of lemonade, but you couldn't see what was in it. And so he thought, 
This is, makes me laugh. He thought, well, look at Daniel. He's over there drinking. This must be one of them party guys. <laughs> I went and told my buddies, the guys who were with me. I was like, yeah, my buddy said that he saw me drinking. You know what they did? They laughed. <laughs> they, la- they laughed about it because you know why? Because they knew that, that that's, not what, that's not Daniel's MO. That's not what Daniel does. And I chuckle at it because it's like, that's what the unbeliever should be saying. The unbelievers should be saying, now they disagree with me. I love those guys. They disagree with me on everything about life. But in that, they're like, no, man, you're not that way. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. It, it just makes me chuckle in that way. But then also, um, yeah, so shepherds are upright. They're also meant to be an example. Part of being upright is that they leave an example to everyone else. Listen to several places that Paul says this. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. The pastor elder is meant to be exemplary. Exemplary. Or as Paul says in another place, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Okay, so shepherds are upright. I want you to see, secondly, that shepherds are personal. And again, don't, don't just keep hearing this as, this is what shepherds are like. Yes, okay, Daniel's talking about what he's supposed to be. This is what we're all supposed to be. And pastors are meant to be the standard, the exemplar of this. Shepherds are personal. And I call this under control on purpose. They're not under control on accident. So this is, so the first one was the integrity piece. This one is the personal piece over here. And I'll just name some of them off. Lover of good, prudent, sensible, self-controlled, temperate, not a new convert, not a drunkard, not greedy. He's personal in that way. He's personally under control. So notice what he says again in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must, or an overseer, elder, pastor, must be above reproach. Then jump down, jump the husband of one wife. We'll cover that in a second. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. Now, sober-minded, when we talk about that, um, you can see it very clearly when a pastor or elder is dealing with someone that he finds annoying, okay? Is he, in, in dealing with the annoying or frustrating thing or person, is he one who holds himself within? Or is he one who just lets it all fly? One who always has a halter on himself, or one who lets himself free range? What about the next one, the respectable? The idea behind this word is the one who he acts suitably in a way that's proper or appropriate for the position that God has him in, or self-controlled. The idea of respectable and self-controlled is one who behaves in a sensible manner. He's self-controlled. He lets his mind be his guide. But he's also, as he says in verse 3, he's not a drunkard. He's not a lover of money. This man is able to control himself in, in money, in alcohol, to easy temptations. It's not that he doesn't drink alcohol. It's not that he doesn't deal with money. It's that the way that he deals with them are under control, and that is what's important. He's tempered. Verse 3, this is another really important one. 
He's not violent, but gentle. He's not quarrelsome. That word for violent is the same word that we have for bully. He's not a bully. He's, someone, he's not someone who's demanding their own way. He is a, a, he's not a bully toward others, but he's gentle. He's, first, uh, Philippians 4 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's the same word for gentleness. That the pastor ought to be the most reasonable person in the whole church. So when I hear stories, and I know you know stories, if I brought this to my pastor and he lost it, I want to say, that's sad. And that's not how it ought to be. In this moment, I want to remind us of something that I see happen often, which is spiritual abuse in pastoral ministry. Spiritual abuse is saying, I have this little pet thing that I love. You all should love it too. And if you don't, I'm going I'm to beat you with the thing until you do love it. May God guard me, and may he guard other pastors from being bullies in our ministry. We are not CEOs pushing ahead at, for the bottom, bottom dollar. We are men who are gentle in dealing with our sheep. So that's the second. So pastors are upright. Pastors are um, personal. Pastors are also relational. And this one I put, they smell like the sheep, meaning that they smell, they are around shepherds. If you think about what a shepherd does, he literally lives with the sheep. Now, the first, notice what he says, jump down there to um, uh, verse 2. He says, therefore, an overseer must be, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Now, that word hospitable, that's actually not even for other believers. That's actually for hospitable. Every time hospitality is used in the, in the Old and New Testament, it's actually inviting strangers into your home. It's actually not even with other believers. It's with, literally, with people who come to you from, you maybe don't even know where they're from. It's actually a qualification. We could give several others for, um, he's relational, but I won't. I will spare you that. I want to I circle up and end here with shepherds are family-oriented. They're family-oriented, which means that they manage his, his household well. And I think, I would argue that this one is indicative. It is, it is meant to be exemplary of the pastor. He says, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And then also you can include with that that he's the husband of one wife, which literally just means that he's faithful to his wife. He's faithful. He's faithful sexually. He's faithful from ungodly relationships, from ungodly images, from guarding his marital relationship. But he also manages his household well. And I want to circle up on this one for a second. And I'll put a hope or a plea for you as well as a church. Paul says that in other places that the church is like a family. And I would argue that sometimes what ends up happening for the pastor is he takes on a pastorate, and then his, his children are rebellious. And I think what our, I would argue what ought to happen in that moment is rather than just saying, well, you've got to keep pushing forward in the pastoral ministry, what that man would be better served to do is to say, I'm going to take a break from pastoral ministry because I love my family. And if I can't love my family well, I can't be a pastor, literally. 
If the church is the family of God, then the pastor elder must be able to manage his own home well. And the logic is, if a man can't manage his own household well, he will certainly not be able to manage the church well. You know, people always reference this, and they'll say, yeah, like, how, how will he care for God's church? But I want you to think about, if a pastor has a wayward child, how much would it not only scream to not only the church that he, met, he cares most for his family, but how much would it also scream to the child? The child that is going waywardly, that dad says, you are more important to me than the ministry. I'm going to come after you. I would argue we would see far less PK kids with such a terrible reputation. And in this moment, I've, I've laid out multiple things here, and multiple things here that I'm sure you're probably sitting there thinking, well, Daniel, I saw him get annoyed one time. You're, you're right. Our shepherd has entrusted his blood-bought people to under-shepherds. They are relational, personal men of character that are worthy to emulate. But I will stop and pause in this moment and say, but are still deeply fallen and need you as a church to pray for me, but also me as for, for you in that way. Listen to what Paul says in another place. Who is able to do these things? And he says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in the triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are an aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? And his answer is, you don't have a perfect pastor before you. But I hope, I hope, and over time, that you continue to see that I'm growing, that I'm growing in in character, in love, And as we think about as a church, bringing on other pastors, that this is the kind of man we look for. We don't look for the CEO. We don't look for the comedian. We don't look for the clown. We look for godly men. We pray, pray with me even. We pray for godly men. We pray that the Lord would raise up, even from our own church, send us godly men. Raise us up godly men to shepherd the souls of people. Now, next week, we're going to look at the shepherding task and what, what, what it is I do. What, Daniel, what do you do Monday through, Monday through Saturday? What is it you do? I don't just work one day a week. Shepherds, shepherds, the shepherd's task is what we'll look at next week. Uh, but I want us to turn now, and I want us to take communion. I especially, I feel like I need in this moment to acknowledge and remember that 